Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, Tom and I were standing back there and he was saying, well, you know, in the new building, we won't have that traffic jam. But I hope that we do have that traffic jam in the services because, you know, the sanctuary will be a little bit bigger. So I think we ought to still have a traffic jam there. Where we won't have a traffic jam um, should be the lobby because we got a lot bigger lobby. And we got rooms for everybody, rooms for all the kids, rooms for all the adults. Today we've got nothing but cakes for the ladies for Valentine's Day uh, over on the table. And then I should not forget, we should not forget, we got a whole team of people that allow us to tailgate every Sunday before the service because they don't got barbecue, but usually they got bananas and the important thing, coffee. I don't know if they got coffee light. I'm not sure they have coffee light because I think the assumption is you need the caffeine because I preach like Pacheco runs. And I think that's what it is. You get to be Mahomes, you hand it off to me, and then my goal is to preach like Pacheco runs. And uh, praise the Lord. So thank God for all that and all of you who are helping with everything that's going on. Go ahead and stand. Uh, let's uh, get ready to have a word of prayer. I've been meaning to mention the last couple of weeks that our praise on Sunday is also a Spotify playlist. And if you will, if you will follow, like, share, um, whatever you got to do on Facebook for uh, our feed, Harvest Baptist Church feed, then, then you'll be able to check that, uh, get the playlist for the praise, and, and hopefully that'll help your attitude this week. Song. So, Not that first song. The first song, because <laughs> first song was back before they had music. And the deacons had to come up. And uh, back in the day when they only had rocks and bones. So it's a lot of, <laughs> lot of rhythm and not, not as much music. But, uh, but outside of that one. But may, uh, yeah, so anyway, playlist you can uh, plug into. Go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, we just rejoice. Both services, people got baptized. Uh, Lord, uh, telling us they have gone all in. And uh, they've been baptized in the Spirit because they got saved. So they're willing to be baptized in water and be, be part of this team here with us. God, we thank you, Lord. Pray that you would use us uh, in your work in this, uh, from this location and the new one we get to. God, we ask today that your Holy Spirit speak. Lord, show us what you have us to do, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated in the Lord's presence. And... Uh, Elijah's kind of, I would call him the prophet of, Tom, is this your phone? Whose phone is this? Oh. So, you know, this is one of those plays. We'll make the reverse handoff here. So, Elijah is a prophet of very practical Christianity. And, uh, you know, we're doing some studies, topical content on character, looking at character and every month valuing a different Bible virtue. This month it is patience. If you have your bulletin and you take the QR code with your phone, that'll take you to some resource resources both for you and to work with your kids on. But, uh, you know, it's hard to talk about character, Bible character, without talking about Bible characters and Elijah's not the character you want to study if you just want to stick with casual Christianity. Uh, he's not the one to study if you just want to be comfortable in your American lifestyle. He is not the one to study 
if you just want to talk about it, not be about it. But if you want to be a Christian in our America, if you want to be a prophet to our generation, if you want your children to grow up without drowning in the bog that is contemporary culture, then Elijah's life says, put your ministry where your mouth is. Because Elijah's life is very concerned about the day-to-day operation of the Spirit of God in your life and how to get that going. So in this short series, we're looking at items of character because character speaks more to the heart than it does to the head. And so my desire is to bring into focus the value of Bible virtues to ourselves and on the way to installing them in our Harvest Kids Because if your church, if this church does not teach character, they're not going to get that type of instruction today, typically in the school. They are not going to get it in the school. They are not getting it in our society. They're not getting it in books. You know, it used to be that our movies would have kind of a, some type of morality story within it. They don't get it in the movies, not in their music, certainly not in social media. And one thing we got to deal with in ourselves so that we can give them the example of Christ-likeness is the matter of depression. Society, our educational system, and our culture looks for the solution in the social and the natural alone. So it's George Hegel, George Lucas, and George Harrison's philosophy of me, we, and nature. So only the Bible has the sure and certain definition and the correct approach because we are the ones who consider the Holy Spirit and the supernatural, me, we, and God. Only we have a social, spiritual answer, not a social, emotional fog Since our social, spiritual solution is me, I acknowledge my need. We, I fellowship with the flock and the family of believers. And God, I turn to the Lord in all of my despair. And we can do that because we've got God's words to go to. You know, character is an internal thing. It's a spirit thing. Therefore, and here's our thesis for today's study. To gain character, you've got to let the Spirit of God answer to your application of the true words of God. So then you can reap the benefit of accumulating power over time. But now let me walk us back so that I can give a context to our text in the book of 1 Kings. Because Elijah's life demonstrates three important principles, and these are principles that you need to make a part of your life starting now. They need to be a part of your experience as we move and we minister together, because this is Elijah's life demonstration. Number one, God always calls a man or woman to match the need of the hour. When times are dark, When the king will not govern in righteousness, when religious leaders will not instruct in righteousness, when the life of the city and the life of society are threatened by violence and by injustice, God calls you to act like Elijah. 
when the light of God in our city and in our school seems at the point of absolutely going out, God calls Elijah's into action. So Elijah's life demonstrates, this is number two, how when wickedness develops to extraordinary magnitudes, then God meets it with extraordinary ministries. He gives you an extraordinary faith in an extraordinary Bible in order to move and fulfill an extraordinary mission for him. So extraordinary sinfulness in our society always calls forth extraordinary ministry from men and women who have God's words. Why? Because God always wants to show his superiority to the substitutes for God. To the, to the idols that everybody else has. And he does that through you and me. And the final thing Elijah's life demonstrates, this number three, is that before Jesus returns, the life of Elijah returns. And that tells you something, I think, about the condition of our world that we are in right now, just before the rapture and right here at the end of the last days of the church age. It also says something about the condition of Christians... Who, who live in depression because we live in a society that is calling out a spiritual expression of Elijah's life through God's people in this church. So let me take you to our text. 1 Kings chapter 19 has to do with making, a, making, making ourselves go over a wall of depression and despair. Moses reached that wall in Numbers chapter 11. Jonah reached that wall in Jonah chapter 4. Jeremiah reaches that wall. Jeremiah chapter 20. Peter reached that wall in John 21. And Paul reaches it in 2 Corinthians 1. Elijah reaches it right here. So let me go ahead and give away my game today, and that way you'll be able to really understand what we're going to see in this message. This is our first point for study. Getting over your wall is solved by fellowship in ministry and the edification of discipleship. That's why we'll never become a church of small groups, focusing everybody on themselves. The small group that that we are a church of is called discipleship. You can sign up to be discipled on your way out the door, on the desk there in the lobby. You can sign up. We'll pair you with someone one-on-one to take you through 16 fundamental concepts of how to walk with Christ, the Christian life, how to live the Christian life. So discipleship is just fellowship around an open Bible. And we've got to be a church of ministry teams destroying together the grim and discouraging attitude of life without Jesus. So it is me, we, and the Spirit of God answering to the Word of God that we have inserted into our spirit. And you know, I don't know why I feel this way. I I don't think I could answer if I had a hundred years to preach. But I, I sense a great urgency for us, for our kids, for our city, Uh, bound up in the reason for our move at this time. I mean, something God did after knocking our head against a wall for 10 years. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain, 1 Kings 18, 41. And I don't know why. And there's no thunder in the air. There's no lightning on the horizon. We don't have building. There's just a sense we need to be close to each other 
in our view of the Bible and in training of our kids as we have this opportunity to move. So listen to Paul's confession. Just eight verses into his second letter to the Corinthians. Uh, You can see it on your handout. This is how he felt while they were ministering in Asia, what we would call Asia Minor, which is his hometown area of Turkey. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. So now we come to the strange case of Elijah. And I know you're looking all holy at me because your halo's on high. It's about to blind me. You need to turn that down about two or three notches today if you would. Because, you know, the thing we got to deal with is our discouragement. God gives us all the tools to do that, but Satan has all his tools he uses against us because if he can make you want to quit, if he can make you just not care, then he can control all aspects of your life and your ministry for Christ. Now, if you are human, you're going to battle depression. Um... Your hope, you will hope for something and it'll be dashed. You'll come to rely on people only to discover betrayal. You will look forward to opportunity or promotion only to find a prison. How do you ride high in the saddle when you feel so low? Look at verse 1, 1 Kings 19. And Ahab, king of Israel, told Jezebel, his wife the queen, all that Elijah had done in the last chapter, and withal how he had slain all the prophets, the prophets of Baal with the sword. All her prophets, by the way. All the prophets she had been feeding for three and a half years during the famine. In other words, everything she did to preserve her substitutes for God, it was all destroyed. Now, God's word is preserved right down to you today. That's why it's the living word of God. Well, there are no Baal worshipers alive today. But verse 2, you know, there were at that time. So verse 2, then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. She says, So let the gods. Well, what gods? Baalim gods. OMB, by Baal, if I don't chap your hide by this time tomorrow, I'll be Baal darned. <laughs> now you're looking at me like you don't know what, what I'm talking about, but it was William Congreve who said, Heaven has no rage like love to hatred turned, nor hell a fury like a woman scorned. So, verse 3. When Elijah saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. So here's the man who is not scared of the king, King Ahab, but he is scared to death of the one who was wearing the pants in the family. And he's in Israel in the north, and he runs all the way south, out of, off the page. I mean, he runs out of bounds. And he goes down south into uh, Judah. I mean, he goes into the deep south, into a whole other kingdom, hoping for protection. And then he goes to the southernmost border city in that kingdom, 
So he goes from Washington, D.C. to El Paso, Texas, old El Paso. And when he gets 140 miles to Beersheba, he leaves his servant there as a diversion. And then he puts his camis on and he goes another 15 miles into the bush. And let me tell you the first thing about discouragement. This is our second point for study. Discouragement thrives when you forget what God did last chapter because you're looking at what threatens you right now. Anything that threatens us has a tendency to discourage us, especially if it goes on a long time. I think it was George Patton that said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And Lyons has been fighting this for three and a half years. And the question is, are you going to answer the Elijah call? Are you going to consecrate yourself to Christ in his mission? Because if you do, then challenges to that consecration are going to come on a regular basis and you never get discharged from that war until either the rapture or the resurrection. But it, you know, discouragement takes root and it really grows where there's an environment that forgets what God did yesterday because of threats that you face right now. And they're just two critical questions to bring you back to reality. How is Jezebel going to swear by gods who are not really there, not really gods. Number two, how, are you, how is it you're going to give in while trusting the God who is sowing seed for future fruit in the darkness of the valley you're in right now? So now look, we're dealing with Christ-like character and its development. And if you're going to minimize discouragement, I'm not going to say you can eliminate it. That's uh, That's unrealistic. Um, really in, that's really inhuman, I think. I don't think you can eliminate it, but this is our third point for study, to minimize discouragement's impact, extent, and duration. You cannot look at your problem without at the same moment looking into the face of God. You've got to do what I tell our harvest kids to do, turn to God in every thing. It has to be me, we, and God. Because if you will just put God in front of your circumstances, then you will have put your circumstances in proper perspective. Put God in front and put, and that puts your circumstances in their place. So if you're going to control discouragement, do not deny your circumstances just develop character. How so? Because you start to put your focus in the right place. Now look, look, Philippians 4, verse 4, there on your handout, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. So not just always, but all the way. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But wait, Paul wrote that from prison. I mean, he composed that in the wilderness. So you don't need an escape hatch. What you need is to have your eyes open to understand the balance of power. So stop boxing God out. Start factoring him in. Look at verse 4, 1 Kings 19. But, but Elijah himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree about 12 feet high, you know, gave him some shade, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. 
for I'm not better than my father's. I'm not any better than anybody else who has failed like me. Do not, do not make me take any more of this. I'm out. I mean, he's coming off a great victory. And that's usually when the attack comes. That's usually when discouragement starts. I don't know why. It's just the way it is. You know, so it'll be like today after the Chiefs win. Uh, after uh, Travis proposes to Taylor. Because if you're single, that, you know, that takes them out of the, off the plate. And that, so anyway, I, you know, what do I do? When I get so tired of things being the way they are, when I am sick and tired of being sick and tired, well, we pray dumb prayers apparently, uh, verse 4. And then verse 5, and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, so I'm just going to step out on a juniper limb today and, and say, and this is our fourth point for study, that one way you gain character is to understand that interface between the flesh and the spiritual man. If the physical man needs sleep, then the spiritual man's going to be affected. So stop staying up so late on Saturday nights. You know what? You know what SNL is, right? Saturday Night Live? So SNL leads to SMD, Sunday morning dead. I mean, I can always tell the people who stayed up watching Saturday Night Live on Sunday morning because they, they show me. And I, I'm sure it was a good time, but I'm just saying, you need to build in mechanisms to mother the material man when necessary because then the spiritual man's going to benefit. Now watch how God handles this. Verse 5, Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon, there was a bunt cake, bacon on the coals, a- angel food, and a cruise of water at his head, 40 ounce Stanley. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey's too great for thee. Because, you know, sometimes if you're going to come around third and you're going to head for home when God is flagging you down, you're probably going to be thrown out at the plate. Because part of character development and avoiding despair is, in fact, giving attention to the physical and to the emotional needs of the flesh. Now, not giving in to them, but giving attention to them. The journey's too great for thee, and your most susceptible time for a fall is when you keep running through the stop signs. So, verse 8, Elijah arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Horeb is 2,200 miles from where Elijah's at right now, where Elijah is camping at right now. He had gone 160 miles previously. How can he even go another 200 Well, because he was refueled by being refreshed by God's bread. And that is a picture in Bible type, Jesus says, of God's words. Matthew 4, verse 4. Verse 8 says, he went in that strength, five miles a day, 40 days, days till he got to the mountain where God was at. 
So God sends him with strength to Mount Horeb. And the name Horeb means a parched place, desolate, some place with no outward resource, nothing you can see. Kind of like, you know, operating by faith, not by sight, and no observable system of support. But God sent him there to meet him there. And God gives him what he needs personally in order to pre-fund him spiritually and ministerially. Verse 9, and he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. After 40 days, which in the Bible is the number of spiritual preparation through testing, Verse 9, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? Now notice how God wants the prophet to get it all off of his chest, to process his pain through prayer in order to stop his PTSD. I just gave you the answer. I mean, that's, that's so good. You ought to write that down. You need to process your pain through prayer in order to prevent PTSD. Do you have intruding thoughts? Then bring those thoughts to Christ and make them obedient to him. 1 Corinthians 10.5 Pull down the strongholds. Revenge their disobedience by fulfilling yours. Verse 10, and he said, I've been very jealous. for the." I mean, this sounds just like Elijah. Well, it sounds just like us. I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy, pro- thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now wait, God is asking you the same nitty-gritty question today. What are you doing here? What are you here for? What are you doing at this church? What are you doing in ministry? What doth hinder you? What do you think you need from God? Moses wanted to die. Jonah got angry. Jeremiah cursed the day he was born. Paul despaired of life. Peter went a-fishing. And I got depressed and, and landed in the wilderness. That's what I'm doing here. Verse 11, he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount." Before the Lord, come closer to me, and behold, the Lord passed by. Okay? You come to where I'm passing by. That is such an important principle of character. I mean, all you really need in the hard times is not even to keep going. You just need to be in the place of the Lord's presence. You need to stand upon the mount before the Lord. I want to show you an example of a lady who did this. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9, I mean, who could have, who would have thunk it? Who could have predicted this? Who told her to do this? But she, all she's doing is what Elijah did. She's going to the place the Lord's going to pass by. Look on your handout, Matthew 9, verse 20. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, for she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I just got to be there as he's passing by. I shall be whole. I mean, all you really need is to be in the Lord's presence. So after three and a half years, the ground seems like it's crumbling under Elijah's feet. And 
everything he's worked for seems like falling down around him with that threat from Jezebel and his dreams are shattered like broken glass. And then, verse 11, a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But that's what accompanies God's presence and that's part of the Spirit answering to his word. And that is why character and giving a faith response is so important for you. Verse 11, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And your faith is always going to face testing, but God's not behind that. Because here's our fifth point for study. Testing always accompanies God's presence. Because his presence always attracts opposition from fallen creatures. So verse 12 says, After the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice, because the Lord is in his word, in the middle of the wind that splits your vision, in the midst of the earthquake that destroys your foundation, in the middle of the fire that refines your faith, there is still the word of God animated by the spirit of God, and that is where God is. It's the sound of the Spirit's voice found in the words of your Bible. And we, pay, we don't heed it. We pay no attention to it because it's so still and small. I mean, how, I mean, how could it be that the King James Bible is all that and, and all the other translations are no good and corruptions of it? I mean, how can it be that, that God gave me his words in English, which for 290 years was the only words of God in English that we had, I mean, how can it be that? I mean, it's just such a still, small, insignificant thing. Well, look, do not neglect it just because it does not jump out and grab you. That's my job, to jump out and grab you. Remember, I preach like Pacheco. So here's what you need to do. You need to make you a plaque and you need to frame a copy of Psalm 119 and you need to set it on your desk and no matter whatever else happens... When you let your gaze fall there in prayer, you come into the presence of God. Verse 13, and it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? Now, we heard Elijah's complaint in the next verse, back at verse 10. Uh, and God's answer is comprehensive because it always is. It always involves, the answer is always a walk with him. The answer is always his way, his path, not taking the other. A consistent turning to God and giving faith responses over time so that you will receive accumulating power from his spirit. So God says, hey, here's how I'm going to be jealous for my name and defend you in the process. Verse 15, the Lord said unto him, go, return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus. When thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. First, anoint someone to chastise my children, Israel. You're not in this alone, Elijah, in trying to bring them back to me. Second, verse 16, and Jehu, anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. 
Huh. So second, you think your problem is Queen Jezebel, wife of King Ahab. Well, we'll solve that. Anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. Now, this is 906 B.C., Verse 15 is not fulfilled for another 15 years. The first half of verse 16 is not fulfilled for another 22 years. But God gives Elijah his word, which shows him the bigger plan. Oh, wait. God tells you in his word what is coming next so that you can be on the team with him right now. Are you on the team with us Uh, telling other people about the gospel and what Christ is doing? Are you doing what God wants you to do? Who are you anointing right now that will make God's impact 15 years from now, 22 years from now? Verse 16, And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. Now that happened immediately. You know, in in the Old Testament, they didn't do baptisms, they did anointing. And they did the anointing because that was a sign that the Holy Spirit was setting you apart. God sent you apart for a certain mission, a certain thing, even if you were unsaved in this case, like King Assyria. The Holy Spirit was going to guide and direct this thing. He was going to be in charge of it. And so you got anointed. Today, every Christian gets baptized because we are already all anointed with the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, you got baptized in the Spirit, but you get baptized in water, and you submit to that to show us that you really got saved. And so now this happens immediately. I see you, you see me, let's get we, because this is our sixth point for study. We not only need to be Elijah's to our city, we need to be Elisha's to each other. So get concerned about our harvest kids and the next generation. They will be working. They will be running things 15 to 22 years from now. So go back to or go on to being a disciple-making disciple. Become a leader of future leaders, not just a leader of followers. So here's someone to train to take your place later on. Verse 18, yet have I left me. 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. And Elijah, his successor, starts a school of the prophets for those 7,000 to make sure they are discipled and they are trained and they are active to get out God's word to people, God's true words. Verse 19, so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, And he with the 12, so he's assisted by 11 other men because God never calls somebody who's not willing to be busy. Moses was shepherding. Gideon was threshing wheat. Nehemiah was carrying the king's 40-ounce cup. Peter, James, and John were harvesting fish out of a lake. Why? Because the work and the call go hand in hand. They have to. They have to go hand in hand. Do not wait on God to act before you start moving. You need to come to the place that he will be passing by. Capiche? Verse 19, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon Elisha. 
A mantle is a garment like a robe, in this case a cloak, a top coat. I mean, probably knowing the kind of cowboy Elijah was, probably a vest. And uh, let me hit you with a definition. The word mantle means that which is sufficient. Your English King James Bible is totally sufficient. It is the evidence of things not seen. It is biblical authority. But I wonder where you're at in this process. I wonder if you've responded to the offer of an Elijah to take this mantle and minister alongside. Elijah's ministry was just four years old when he gets this depressed, so much in despair, so much darkness, he wants to die. But Elijah ministers alongside him for another 10 years. Have you ever shown the courage and compassion to turn away from what your parents, your peers are calling you to do, kiss it goodbye, and give your life to what God has for you in his word? And, I, you know, and they're different. Okay, that's what I'm saying. That's what the Bible says. That's what I'm teaching you. That's what this church stands for. That's not what you'll see every place else. I mean, I am not the type of person that has Facebook, uh, a Facebook IV. Okay, I'm not. I'm, I'm kind of like some of the rest of you. I'll, I'll check Facebook when I'm in the bathroom. Uh, so I'm scrolling through my feed in the bathroom, and I can, you know, come across other, other pastors other churches that I might, you know, follow and see what they say. And, you know, what they all say is, you know, God is going to show you some personal, unique purpose just out of you. Just, just your purpose for you. No, that's Boss Hagel. That's not God. Boss Hagel will show you that. No, God is out to show you what his purpose he's doing for him that you can get in on. That's the exciting thing, because his spirit answers to his word for that purpose. That's why you can do all the other mess and not have any power. So my favorite sentence this whole chapter is the one that ends at verse 21. Then Elisha rose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. You know, my ministry has changed over the years. My main motivation now is you. My main resource is you. So more than ever, I want to cast the mantle of sufficiency in the King James Bible. I want to find that elusive 12th person. I want to capture some Elishas to help complete the course that God is putting in front of us, especially as we move to a new location. Now that means four final things, which we've already witnessed, because this is God's operation if you will... Take what we've said today and make application. Number one, here's what you'll find. God is at work and people, even people outside his plan. I mean, you doing this puts God being at work in them. Like like Hazael, king of Syria. Or the Blue Springs School Board. Or whoever the person may be who will buy our office building over here in Copper Oaks. Will you please be praying? God will send that person along and do that soon. And we can get that sold and get out of there, get completely over in the other building. You pray. Let's pray together that God will do that. Let's see what he'll do. I don't have any confidence 
in realtors uh, or mortgage bankers or anybody like that. But I have confidence in God. Number two, God is at work in people who are part of his plan, like Jehu, king of Israel. And number three, God links the lives of Elijah's and Elisha's together to accomplish his work. And finally, God has preserved his 7,000 in this city, in the Living Faith Fellowship, uh, uh, on the campus, at your corporation, for us to find together, win together, disciple together, and train to walk with Jesus with us. Me, we, and him. Elijah found his needed rest. Elijah found his needed resource. And Elijah found, most importantly, his needed word, which the Spirit was answering to. He also found his needed fellowship and ministry together. And that is such an important topic. Next Sunday, we're going to move on to that and go through the book of 1 John together. My time is up. I thank you for yours. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The best way to fill the void in your soul with hope is to live a life of meaning by ministering to God, ministering God's words, ministering to God's people and ministering God's word. Stop listening to the Jezebels on Facebook or even in your own soul. You need to recognize feeling bad is part of being human. Do not let that convince you that that is your only future. Will you just pray and thank God for his hope? Jesus is the door, and he is the way out of your despair. If you'll just receive Jesus today, he will be your freedom to serve, not to find your unique personal purpose, but to fulfill his with your life. And you can do that just if you'll pray, knowing that God hears. Just say, God, I will answer your call. I choose to follow Jesus today. Because in Christ, my future is eternal. And it's so much better than my past. You'll make me better than I am because you make me brand new. So God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I trust Jesus today for everlasting life. Put me in Christ, put the Holy Spirit in me. God, I'm asking you, make me born again. I look at you, I follow you, I trust your name today. And God, I pray, don't let us lose anyone. Let, let, let us not lose any more, at least not those that we can reach with the true words of God. If you prayed and you trusted Jesus for eternal life today, I'm going to ask you to come. You can come right now or come when we start singing or, or come as soon as we're done singing. Come here to the front. Meet one of our personal workers here at the front. I want them to give you a copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. If you get fed here and you attend here, you ought to be a member here. Come up and talk to us about that. You saw some people get baptized today. If you're saying, man, you know, that's me. I'm saved, but I haven't gone all in. I, I need to be that. I need my anointing. 
externally. I need, I, I need it so the mantle will work for me. Well, okay, come up and talk to us about getting in on that the next time we do baptisms. If you just need to be prayed for, prayed with, or prayed over, come up and let us know. Go ahead and stand if you would. Next Sunday will be the first sermon in a new series on 1 John. I feel like as we move to a new location, we've got to advance in fellowship. Make sure we advance in fellowship. So 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, teach us how to advance in God's purpose together. This is for you, for your family. Bring somebody that needs the gospel good news like you do. Praise team, send us out singing.